Welcome to this special edition Lloyd's List interview. My guest today is the founder and CEO of ship manager Synergy Group and the co-CEO of the maritime technology firm Alpha Ori Group, Mr. Rajesh Uni. Welcome to the interview, Rajesh. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking today about several significant issues facing the maritime sector, from the industry's response to COVID-19 and what that's taught us, to the tectonic shifts around digitalization and decarbonization. But the theme of today's discussion is finding a stronger voice to build a better shipping industry. And that's because Rajesh and I have both been discussing these issues for some time, and we firmly believe that these are linked in, in many ways. COVID-19 has exposed known flaws within the shipping industry. The fragmented response to the crewing crisis is only the latest fault line in an industry that really has struggled to speak with unity on fundamental issues of safety, decarbonisation and digitalisation. Noiseless has argued for some time now that the shipping industry needs to find a political voice that travels beyond the ports and the high seas, one that reaches the decision makers who are currently determining our collective fates. So we're talking to Synergy today because it's Rajesh's contention that it's time to reform and uh, find ways to create a more transparent industry where collaboration across the supply chain is embraced. Sustainability is baked into new business models and technology is used to catalyze innovation and find efficiencies. So with that in mind, Rajesh, if you don't mind, let's start with the big one, coronavirus. Um, we have seen that this situation created by COVID, the restrictions on seafarers, it's exposed the fact that the industry doesn't have a voice, it's not being heard. Shipping's inability to consistently shape its own direction with policies, well, that's been found wanting. What's going on here? What's going wrong in your view and, and what's this taught us? No, thanks Richard. I think it's a, it's a, in timing wise, it can't be better. And I think COVID will certainly be a turning point for shipping in many ways. And maybe we can take some lessons out of this and become better, I think. Uh, if you talk about crewing, for example, now we have uh, ships that are coming into a particular port and two days before they arrive, they are told that they can't come into the port just because they've had a crew change from a particular nationality. And that gap has uh, not been there for a month. So these kind of local legislations and you know uh, kind of new kind of protocols are thrown at ship owners uh, uh, in, in short notice. So what that does is that you're basically caught unaware. And so now we have some international protocols and governance uh, with a patchwork of local and regional legislation. I think as such shipping is complex and now you have another patchwork of regulation. So where is the clarity? And we know that human brains are not wired the best when we have to deal with uncertainty. So when we have very little clarity, how can one thing, forget long term, but even medium term. The second thing is when you look at, uh, you know, consumers who are uh, consumers of our service, when they visit supermarkets, whether it's about picking a paper towel or uh, picking some fruits or even the ketchup that we look for when we order some fries, uh, I don't think that the consumer realized that there is a role that shipping plays behind all this. So in that sense, have we represented ourselves as an industry to the end consumers? Well enough. Now, what are the current solutions we have to solve that representation? We have so many well-meaning great industry bodies, 
but we are only talking to an echo chamber, uh, just like between shipping people. Like you said, I think our voices need to be heard beyond ports. IMO, in my humble opinion, was not set up for lobbying for shipping or to put ship owners' voice across to power. They can set regulatory framework, and of course, we can have some suggestions there too, uh, but I don't think they are set up for lobbying. And then you talk about what are the challenges in, in the recent crew issues. One of the big thing was, uh, you know, crew were not able to obtain visa from their own countries because most of the consulates were shut. And being part of many of these task forces myself, you know, at ICS, we tried lobbying so hard uh, to get the EU to allow uh, seafarers to join on the basis of visa on arrival. Is shipping is so critical to world trade, and how are we then not being able to get to those decision makers and make them act on some of the things that we're suggesting? So if I have to draw this and summarize, I would say three or four things. One is we have a patchwork of local and regional legislation that are thrown at you as a surprise on top of the international framework, which means it brings a lot of uncertainty. We think that we need to better represent our industry to the end consumers. And we certainly have great organizations, but we lack, uh, you know, as one voice uh, for the industry, we lack unity there. Mm -hmm. And there is also a lack of leverage at a political level. I don't know if this makes sense, but I think these are three or four things. There are many more, but we could talk. I mean, you you mentioned the IMO and the the, the lack of unity. The, one of the, the the problems the industry has, of course, is that it requires global representation and global regulation because it is a global industry. Now that is necessarily difficult, but as you say, the IMO was never really set up to be a political body. It is a, a very effective uh, technical UN body that has been. Uh, really leading the industry in terms of the uh, the safety uh, dimension of the industry for many years, but this has rather exposed the the lack of unity. And as you say, the industry's voice is is not being heard where it should be. The question is, of course, you know how how do we how do we address that? I mean, the industry's image and representation problems. These are not new issues. We've heard calls for a unity in the industry before. Why is this crisis different, do you think, and, and what do you think needs to be done? You are absolutely fair to say this, Richard, in the sense that this is nothing new. But this crisis, it's a humanitarian crisis, if you ask me. And I can vouch and tell you, just because I'm personally involved in many of these discussions uh, with people on board, and not just our own seafarers, but also across the peer groups and because they feel comfortable to talk to, and it's fine uh, as long as they can talk to whoever they feel comfortable with. And we have situations where people are just put on immersion suits and they're waiting to jump because they had a schizophrenic attack. Now, this is a major problem. So, yeah. And we clearly have a deeper problem. Uh, and like you know, Richard, we've talked about this many times. I just don't want to throw, you know, keep complaining and not suggest some solutions. So let's take an example. Uh, we know today that we talked about these travel restrictions, visa requirements, all this. We have an ILO Convention 185, which talks about biometric seafarer identification document. This convention was 2003, and it's in force since 2005. There are 35 countries, including the major seafaring uh, you know, supply countries, that have ratified this, whether it's Philippines, India, etc. 
Some of the EU countries have ratified, uh, but what about some of the strong maritime nations like Denmark, Greece, Liberia, Panama, USA, UK, and Singapore? They have not ratified this. And the whole purpose of this convention was to create a secure international standard, BSID, that can facilitate crew movement across the world. So if we all believe and we say that seafarers are key workers, then why are we not ratifying this, especially in such a situation, IMO can work with ILO and have BSID ratified by more countries, especially those countries where crew movements happen. And if we had done this, I think we would have been better prepared as an industry for this pandemic. Okay, now that this is not being done, at least can we not do it now so that when next pandemic hits us or similar things hit us, we have some of these legislations that we can get things sorted. I'm sure people like me who are seafarers at heart would love to champion such uh, such situations, you know, such legislations. Okay. The secondly, can we as an industry now come up on our own on initiatives that lend itself to be seen as a progressive and not a reactive industry, uh, at least on topics that are politically sensitive, be it welfare rights or decarbonization, like you said like say SA 8000 for socially acceptable practices at workplaces. What we have now is these ad hoc social media campaigns that are focusing on infrequent abuse of human rights or the marine accidents like Wakashio that tarnish our industry. I think we need to be able to tell our story a lot better. We can't hide from the world during the good times, nor when we get it wrong, and then, but then expect the world to help us when we need them. Like I said before, right now, if someone who picks up one of these fast-moving consumer goods from a supermarket, he really does not appreciate the role of shipping. And he doesn't realize that if we stop doing what we're doing, he may not find them on the shelves the next day. So I think we need to collaborate with other parts of the supply chain to have that opportunity to be able to shape standards and maybe respond ahead of competition. We need to have companies like PepsiCo on our side. When Frank Apple at DHL has a problem that affects his business, he can call powerful lawmakers and they will hear him because DHL invests in making sure that people know it provides jobs and services on which society depends. So let's tell our stories a lot better to stakeholders and go beyond ports. Thirdly, we are in a no secrets demand for transparency world. Look at some of the things like WikiLeaks, what have they done? If we look at consumers of our service today, we will realize that they will hold companies responsible for their whole value chain, be it Apple or Walmart, and that includes shipping. The networked nature of these pushes for radical transparency, and when you combine them with the enabling power of the internet, it makes this trend potentially very difficult to contain. Market and regulations can force a reactive change. But I believe it's better that change comes from within. We should learn from the 2008 US auto industry crisis. You know, that really underestimated the power of consumers in looking for more eco-friendly cars. And now when you look at the new auto world landscape, you know, it's there for all of us to learn. So can we as industry leaders coordinate action on topics like safety, decarbonization, technology, speak with one voice that influence the future of global governance, and our policies in a progressive way. How do we future-proof today's new ships from early obsolescence? How do we fund and deliver such a massive retrofit program 
and achieve zero emissions. They say oil will peak in 2020. So how are we preparing for a future that has less oil? How are we preparing for a future where we have more closed loop economies or even climate regulations? I think we need an alliance, the willing, and those able to speak up for shipping and collaborate along supply chains. We need an alliance of the progressive and proactive, this that are able to collaborate while competing. So if I have to summarize, I think one, we need to get instruments like BSID up and running in nations where cool changes happens and include the other nations that are sitting on the fringe. Two, as an industry, come up with our own initiatives, especially on politically sensitive issues, so that we are seen as a forward-looking industry. Three, like I said, let's tell our stories a lot better to the consumers who are using our service, and that includes those beyond the ports. And four, we need to find a way to collaborate and be transparent in our social and environmental obligations. Leadership is not only about responding to a clear business case today, but it's about anticipating and shaping the industry of tomorrow. And the good part is that we have many such good leaders within us. You mentioned the the word reactive, and I think it's fair to say that the shipping industry has characterised itself over the years as being very reactive, simply because of the way it's set up. Uh, it waits for something to happen, it responds, and the entire history of the IMO's legislation is, is one of responsive uh, attempts to try and resolve crises from not happening again, rather than being proactive. Now, one of the issues that you and I have spoken about many times is 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 the question of digitalization and it comes back to this core message of how the industry can become uh, a little bit more proactive like take some of the agency back uh, and this was an issue long before uh, COVID ever came along but COVID has really highlighted that issue that if the industry does not get ahead of itself does not take back some of the agency it will have decisions forced upon it so I guess the question I've got for you is, do you think that COVID has stalled the progress to digitalization that we were seeing before? Or do you think that actually this, this could be the wake up call that the industry needed? Uh, the, the requirement to adapt and to collaborate across the supply chain. That's what we need. That's what everybody was aiming for. Could it be that this crisis actually catalyzes uh, a positive response? So you're right. Uh, necessity may be a mother of invention. But one outcome of COVID is that it has taught us many ways to do things differently, whether it's digital, through digitalization or whether we revisit our processes or people. And it's very similar, like how we evolve from crisis, whether it's what happened after Exxon Valdez, what happened to the framework and the regulations that we came out of that crisis. The question, the larger question is, can we create something out of the COVID situation for a better world tomorrow? And for me, that I think the answer is yes. So if you look at you know, our industry, I think we are a very resilient industry. And most of us uh, you know, have made a rather seamless transition. I said that because there have been a few hiccups, but I think in general, we have not had to have to stop ships. And if you talk about, you know, from our own perspective, like smart ships as an offering as an example, uh, pre-COVID, we had to address a lot on the mindset. Uh, you know, how do we convince people that digitalization is the way forward? But suddenly, after the COVID has hit us, and when people have got a lot more comfortable in, in working in, on the teams or, you know, through internet, uh, in spite of the fact that we have to load a small capex on the hardware, 
we will still have 150 ships on the platform from industry leaders. And this is coming from companies that are industry leaders. So the first part of your question, uh, has it stalled? I don't think so. I think COVID has, in fact, accelerated some of those initiatives that have been you know, kept on the back burner because of, because of capital investments or whatever. Now, the second part of the question on should we look at collaborative ways? Like we discussed previously, we even have to do things that our customer will demand from us, be it transparency or efforts towards a more environmentally friendly transportation world. If we can agree on that one here, then the tech-enabled transparency is a very difficult genie to put back into the bottle. Having said that, technology alone cannot drive change. It needs leadership. Again, let me try and throw up a small example that where we can act on. Today, when we walk into any ship, we have different posters and on, on safety or loss prevention. And typically, it gives you a flare on the number of PNI clubs that the ship has seen. Why do we need each club to come out with its own set of posters, which are very similar? Cannot the IG group now standardize this and say, okay, guys, we're going to standardize this and let's not compete on this one, on posters, but let's focus on competing on some of the other value propositions that we have for our members. A small organization like us, we have spent money engaged with the Premier Design Institute and prepared you know, posters that are uh, agnostic to any of these things. And we are happy to open source this to the IG group if they, they want to take this. It's a relatively simple approach on standardizing, but it's it's standardizing the messaging on safety. So it not necessarily always have to be about tech. We should certainly collaborate in pushing for a regulatory framework that encourages decarbonization innovation and provide incentives uh, so that we have a, a range of sustainable options open to vessel owners and operators. The, the IMO has set broad guidelines for reducing emissions. But what we all want is a more thermodynamic framework that can map the entire carbon cycle and allow us collaboratively to find solutions. I think a collective impact model is the way forward in environment. For us to collaborate, we may also need to agree on a shared vision of 2050, for example. How could the industry develop? For this to happen, the only way is to collaborate and create new business and operating models that embrace a collaborative DNA and offer a new way forward. This should certainly be beyond ports and include sections of the supply chain that wasn't there before. It, it is natural that we should expect shifts in global power together with changing rivalries and conditions. That could definitely lead to a patchwork world. If this is a possibility, then collaboration now is the right thing to do. We should you know, move away from this huge cognitive dissonance where we think this will not happen to us. So again, to summarize this question, COVID has fast-tracked the need to collaborate and find new ways of avoiding split incentives. I think we can compete on price and technology while collaborating on safety. We can compete on making our ships as efficient as possible while cooperating to build a more sustainable, decarbonized future. We can even compete to recruit the best seafarers. But I feel we must cooperate so that their collective welfare is always our first concern. Okay. I'm going to pick you up on a couple of those themes again, because the, the, we need to go back to the 
the beginning uh, and the issue of, of finding a, a stronger voice uh, to build a better shipping industry. That's what we were we were trying to get to here. And this issue of agency comes up again and again. The, the, the ability of the industry to determine its own fate and to not have decisions forced upon it. We've seen it in a number of the issues you've just spoken about, digitalization and decarbonization, where we're not the only actors. The shipping industry is increasingly part of an integrated supply chain. It is uh, increasingly required to be part of the standardization program, to be uh, part of uh, a collaborative solution around fuels, around policy, around regulation. Do you think, given everything you've said, that the industry has the ability to determine its own fate? Or you know, is it in danger of being too reactive and allowing others to take the lead? New business models and new partnerships that embrace the collaborative ethos definitely offer a new way forward. I believe a coalition of the willing are gathering at the forefront of the industry. There's no doubt about it. And they're offering definitely a new collective spirit and hoping to end you know, the silos and processes that work on split incentives and just creating a race to the bottom on price at the expense of safety, sustainability, quality. If to your question of whether we will be disrupted from somebody from outside, I think gate crashes will happen, whether we like it or not. But clearly, as an industry, we should move away from these split incentives in these key themes. And we need the wider group of leaders to help the innovation to take off and to tip whatever we're trying to do. We create these new business models in our partnerships that are the collaborative DNA. Having said all this, I'm sure we have enough leaders in shipping that can make this happen. And maybe we don't have to depend completely on gate crashes, is my take. Wonderful. Well, that seems a very positive place to end our discussion. Um, Rajesh, thank you very much for joining Lois List for this special interview. Thanks a lot, Richard. I hope that helps. <laughs>